what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. I am the co-founder and co-director, well, co-founder of the Foot Candle Film Society, co-director of the Foot Candle Film Festival, held every year in September right here in Western North Carolina. And uh, with me, across the table from me, back live again. This is our second time live in a row where we're actually in a same general close vicinity <laughs> from one another, not over the internet having to record this, is my other co-founder and co-director, Mr. Chris Fry. Yes. Hello, everyone. Nice to be back in the studio again. It feels feels good. Somewhat normal, which is always nice. Yeah. You know, normalcy is uh, is nice to get back to to some degree. Of course, we're all still trying to be very, very conscious and safe with what we're doing here. But uh, it does help, Chris, when we're talking movies and, and I can kind of see a little bit from a distance, at least uh, your expressions as you get ready to tell me your thoughts on a film. Uh, you have a lot of tells. And we have two movies that I will be will be kicking off that I'm going to be very eagerly looking to read your tales on how you felt about these films and if the opinions match up with mine or not. So uh, we have two films in particular we'll be discussing today. The first up will be Bill and Ted Face the Music, the third in the Bill and Ted trilogy. Bill and Ted trilogy that we did not realize many years ago was ever going to become a trilogy. It has, and we're going to talk about the latest installation starring. Mr. Keanu Reeves and Alex Winters. Then we're going to move on to a review of the latest Charlie Kaufman film. I'm thinking of ending things. This is one that premiered on Netflix just in the last week. And uh, we're going to talk through that film. Then we're going to take a break. And when we come back from the break afterwards, there will be movie news. There will be some discussion of a couple of really interesting trailers that have just been released. And Chris and I will end the show with our patented uh, always, always recommended, always uh, looked forward to by our listeners, our recommendations of the episode, a film that he and I you know, will both be recommending one film that we think is worthwhile checking out uh, if you're looking for something at home to, uh, to watch during some downtime. So Chris, we've got a full slate of things on our show, so I would heartily recommend that we just go ahead and get started. Sounds like a plan. All right. Let's get started with our first film, which is Bill and Ted. Face the music. When your wives suggested couples therapy, do you think this is what they had in mind? Definitely. I mean, we're a couple of couples, right? Bill, Ted, enough of the delusions. You didn't time travel. And you didn't go to heaven and hell. Here's a real idea for you. Be role models to your daughters. Get real jobs. We've spent our whole life trying to unite the world. And I'm tired, dude. Ted, we have a destiny to fulfill. Whoa. 1989 gave us the teen comedy Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. 
It made buckets of money, and thus in 1991, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey was released. In 2019, news came across our Foot Candle Films desk that a new Bill and Ted movie was on its way, starring the original cast of Keanu Reeves, Alex Winter, and others that also make appearances. We were both curious, with the foremost thought being, why make a Bill and Ted movie? Another one? A third one? And why now? Despite a global pandemic, Bill and Ted Face the Music was able to be released at drive-ins and online. Alan, how did Bill and Ted help you face the music that is 2020? <laughs> uh, hmm. Okay, so let's. I'll just go ahead and say this, that uh, I think this is a fun film. Okay. I did have a generally good time with it. Okay. It is not without its faults. It is not without uh, some need to remember the situation in which we're watching this. But I think if you can kind of look past some of those things, I think, and just kind of turn your brain off and look forward to having a good, relatively heartwarming time with the film, I think it's a a, a, a fun film to do that with. Um, is it everything I ever would have wanted from a third film in this trilogy? Well, I never really remembered asking for a third film in this trilogy, so I can't really say that for sure. Sure. But I'd say sure. I mean, I think if you were to tell me that, yes, they're going to make a sequel X number of years in the future, and uh, past me would say to future me, well, as long as it has these elements in it, it should be a fun movie. And it did have those elements. Uh, we have a film here with a lot of fan service. Um, yeah, really, I mean, let's be honest. People want to watch this movie because they want to see Keanu Reeves play in a kind of a, a dumb, oh, not dumb, but a more uh, fantastical comedy. Sure. And that's just not something we're used to seeing Mr. Reeves do anymore. So I think that that in itself may be a reason for purchasing a ticket or buying the online version, whatever the, the case may be. Um, there are some things I do want to point out. I think they really kind of missed and they could have really made this a much, uh, much, much more worthy entry. But as it is now, I do feel like it's a good, fun film that uh, I had a good time watching. Chris, your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, I was. I had this actually in Letterboxd. I had this as one of my anticipated films for 2020, not because I was really that big of a fan of the first two, which I actually did see both of them in the theater when I was a teenager, and I just thought they were, you know, okay, you know. And I remember the first one specifically. Bogus Journey kind of seemed like everybody at the time, to me at least, was kind of like, yeah, that was pretty much the same thing as the first film. And then it just kind of died away. However, after the first film, I remember tons of people walking around quoting it. And, doing, mm -hmm. you know, it was just, it was a big phenomenon when the first one came out. And then, you know, two years later, whatever, when they released the other one, it was kind of like, eh, okay. And then everybody just kind of moved on. So the idea that they were going to do this one, I was like, huh, interesting. They were going to do, you know, make it a trilogy, like you said. And the fact just, yeah, my main curiosity was, yeah, Keanu Reeves returning to something like that. You know he can do it, but just it was just very kind of an interesting, yeah, I got to see this just to say that I've seen it. Yeah. Um, and it, it was, for that, it was worthwhile. I will say the opening minutes and some of the things that centered around uh, Bill and Ted going to couples therapy with their wives, like that was some, even though it's teased in the trailer, that those moments and some of that stuff was really good and more mm -hmm. above the dumb the dumb humor that I had expected from the movie and in a way it kind of it kind of got my expectations my the bar immediately kind of jumped and I was like yeah. whoa this I'm is actually going to be 
you know, something more than what I thought. And then, no, it's still kind of, you know, this whole time travel bit and some of the, you know, s- stupid jokes kind of came back. And I was like, well, oh, okay. But I was able to have a good enough time with it that if you liked the original movies or you're looking for something to take your mind off <laughs> the mm-hmm. current situation, um, just with the pandemic and everything, um, this is probably not a bad escape. You know? No, I, I think that's a good way of saying it. So, I, and I can get let's get a little more specific on sure. some things I think that worked and and, and didn't work with this. Um, I mean, I think you're right in that those opening minutes, those opening sequences where we really start to, I mean, the last thing we want from a Bill and Ted movie is to start exploring some real deep societal <laughs> relationship related issues. But right. we do kind of hint at it a little bit, and I think it's actually kind of funny. That the core issue that starts to be the theme in the opening minutes of the film is that Bill and Ted are still kind of the the, the whole man child mentality. Sure, they both have wives, but and they, they have, have children. They have children, but they're also very still very connected to one another. Again, not anything wrong with that, but to the point where even their families are like, "Look, this is probably just getting a little out of out of hand." Right. That whole premise, I'm like, oh, okay, so they're really going to go. With this whole, we we've spent the last thirty years of our life hanging out <laughs> together, and people are telling us we probably need to like cool it a little bit. We need right. to like focus on other people. And hence, and hence the title. You know, you know it's yeah. like face the music. Yeah. Oh, they have to wake up and become adult like that. It kind of really started and going really fast. And without, I was like, oh, that's awesome. Without spoiling the ending, I mean, it ultimately does kind of resonate a little bit by the end with some of the messaging. I think it could have been a little stronger than it was, but I do think that ultimately that, that idea does kind of circle back around to some extent, at least a little bit of a a thread there, but you're right. The whole middle section is basically, we got to time travel. We got to (laughs) go capture famous musicians. We've got to go stop ourselves from future and past selves or whatever, which was kind of a mashup of the first two. It really was. It was truly, uh, not only the time traveling to see historical figures, but the heaven and hell, the there are duplicate versions of us, the evil versions of us. We have to deal with all of that. So, right. yeah, it was it was the perfect fan service movie in that sure. they basically said, let's take every element from the first two movies, throw them together, make a story out of it. We're going to hit every single character that everybody's used to seeing. You got the, you know, you got death. You've right. got, you know, some of the idea of the famous people we go back in history and get just yeah it was perfect fan service as a film goes um the one thing the film did that i thought was really exactly what i wanted from the film and unfortunately it was the only element of it that that they gave me (laughs) okay was um the killer robot um played by anthony kerrigan yes i have Um, him in my notes as well which Again, when they introduced this idea of a killer robot being sent back to kill Bill and Ted, I'm like, okay, yeah, well, I kind of expect something like that in this kind of movie. But then they did something with this character and really let him develop as a character throughout the film where he was one of the most entertaining parts of the film after a while. I don't know, Chris, if you've seen uh, Barry, the TV show on HBO, the Bill Hader series. Anthony Kerrigan is a, is a main player in that series. Okay. He's very, very good in there, too. And he's also uh, been in the TV show Gotham. He Gotham was, uh, is what I'm familiar there. with him from. He's so much better in Barry, though. And, oh, really? And here. Oh, absolutely. Because really I really gets, liked him in Gotham. <laughs> but he really gets to let the comedic role fly in Barry, and it's so good. Hmm. So uh, anyway, he plays the killer robot, Dennis Caleb McCoy. That's the name of the robot. We need to remember that. <laughs> so, sure. Um, 
That that was one of those absurdist humor that just had nothing to do with the previous films. I'm like, I really thought that was great. It was really funny. I wish they did more of that throughout the film than other just one little subplot. But um, yeah, overall, I, you know, it was still enjoyable. I agree. And that that kind of, you know, if there was, I enjoyed the first, you know, 15, 20 minutes when they were kind of setting things up. And I was like, wow, this is a little more, you know, deep for a comedy than I thought it was going to be. But then it kind of slumped back into, you yeah. know, kind of what I expected. And the appearance of Dennis Caleb McCoy, that was like, <laughs> oh, okay. They were kind of throwing right. me a bone to kind yeah. of wake me back up. And something stuff. a little interesting. But like you say, I wish it could have been developed more. Yeah. Now you talk about something that it was in it just enough that I wish it would have been in there a little more. That would be, you know, Dennis Caleb McCoy. Something that was in there that just didn't work and it wasn't Mm -hmm. the idea that didn't work i think it was the execution and i don't even blame the acting either it was the female versions of bill and ted which were their children billy and thea and i don't know if it's because they were trying to mimic too much how bill and ted were in the first movie and it's like okay but you know bill and ted that was just how they were but when it was just it just didn't work because it was like I don't know. No, I've got that as like the top item that did not work for the film for me was the daughters. And it's nothing against the actresses playing them. They were both very good actresses and they were doing what the part required of them. But the parts were written as just imitation carbon copies of the original Bill and Ted. And that's not interesting to me. These are these are Bill and Ted have gone on and they married princesses right. from medieval times. Right. You can't tell me that their offspring just happened to be exact carbon copies of Bill and Ted. And again, that's not interesting. I mean, I don't need them to do impersonations of Bill and Ted, which is what I felt like their parts were. Well, and they were so heightened. It was like they really wanted you to be aware. That's what they're like. No, we we get it. We get These it. are just female. Yeah. But it was just so like it was cranked all the way to 11. But it yeah. could have been at, you know, seven, six. <laughs> but just, just, there could have been some more, much more interesting things to do with the idea of them having daughters. Yeah, I, agree. I, I, I And that was a big disappointment for me because once I realized we weren't getting anything more <laughs> out of the daughters, we really, this is what we get. We see what we get. Right. It was just disappointing. And um, it was like they just... Instead of turning into something more, they just went for the easy joke, which, okay, but they went for the easy joke over the whole film. There was no development to it. There was no anything, nothing interesting happened with the daughters, which is what the shame is, is that I kind of got the impression from the trailers and some of the things when they started teasing the movie, I'm like, oh, this movie is actually going to be mostly about the daughters. Right. Bill and Ted may just be like more small players in the film. No, it it's Bill and Ted. The the daughters are a running subplot, but it just there just wasn't a lot there, and it was just disappointing. It's like you could have done so much more than just having imitations being done of the original Bill and Ted. Um, so that was disappointing for me. You know, okay, I'll go ahead and get ready for the the hater the hate mail now. <laughs> Yes, Bill and Ted movies should not be built on any type of realistic logic. Okay, I get it. It's time travel. It's crazy stuff, whatever. Sure. But I really think back to the previous two films, and at least I bought into the concepts of what they were doing. With you were also third, a lot younger. With this third one, I'm just like, really? That's that's the whole plan here? And I don't know. Again, I'm not going to spoil anything, but sure. to kind of get to this in culmination, they have to pull off some feats that just defy everything about the idea of time space <laughs> and everything else. Sure. Again, I'm willing to give them, obviously it's a comedy. It's a, it's a enjoyable film. Uh, but you know, at, at the same time, I, it's just, 
I, I just didn't feel like there was a lot of thought in the writing. Right. That's my biggest issue, I guess, I guess, both with the daughters. Sure. And just overall the plot idea, this concept of they are charged with writing that one magical song that's going to bring everybody together. That carries from the very first movie, which sure. I thought was kind of a nice touch. Here we are 30 years later. They still haven't written haven't it. Come I up think that's it. pretty cool. And they got a certain amount of time to do it. But then their mechanics of, well, how do we go about having them solve this issue? It just it just seemed really sloppy, just seemed really brief. And even the film seemed to be kind of acknowledging the film is really short. It's like an hour, 20 minutes, Well, um, which goes really brisk. And normally I wouldn't have a problem with that. But it was almost felt like it was too brisk. And it's like they mm -hmm. could have let it breathe a little more and could have like actually written some really interesting moments in there. But anyway, see, that's yeah. that's interesting because even though it was short, you know, a shorter comedy, which is usually good and we like things like that. I still felt, you know, I guess some of the comedy wasn't like you know, engaging me enough. So I kind of got kind of got a little tired of it. Mm -hmm. And it really hit the skids when they met up with death again. I just felt like it just yeah. really stood like, you know, you know, every film can have little parts that drag here and there. And this was, you know, after the opening 20, it kind of dragged. But then when they got to death and I guess it felt like nothing more than just fan service and yeah. extended it fan did. service, I was like, okay, I know the end is coming to this film, but I need it to hurry up and get here. And that's sad to say when it was already yeah. kind of a short film to begin with. I just, yeah, I just, I felt like the writing should have been a lot better on this. And uh, yeah, it's a little disappointing that you know, I couldn't come away saying, wow, they really nailed it. They really got just a great story. And, but I love the characters. Yeah. The, the tone was fun. Okay. They, I, they kept a really great tone throughout the movie. It never got heavily serious, but it also never got like, slapsticky over the top comedy either i mean it was just a great tone of a film right it did have some good messages by the end i think the ending was trying to go for a very emotional thing and it got a little there but it could have been a lot stronger and again i think that's all just the writing if we had been a little more invested with the daughters and felt like that they were real characters throughout the film i think sure. i think the ending would have paid off so much more and um but overall, it was fun. And look, you know, I'm, I'm not going to beat this film up too much. I mean, it was a fun film. I had a good time watching it. I mean, sure. I'll watch it again just for killer robot Dennis Caleb McCoy. Um, <laughs> I will say Keanu Reeves, I thought, was good. I thought Alex Winters was actually even well, better. And that, uh, you know, actually, Alex, yeah. yeah. And because, you know, you know Keanu Reeves, you've seen him in the limelight. So you know what he's capable of. But to see Alex Winter, which basically I've lost track of him. I know he was still kind of involved yeah. in some things out in Hollywood. But to see him come back and do the job that he does, it was really, it was really satisfying. I felt like Alex Winters was playing a true older version of Bill. Yes. Where Keanu Reeves was, felt like sometimes he was trying to remember how to play Ted. <laughs> you know, where Alex Winters, I don't feel like had to, had to pretend at all, saying. you know? Yeah. So I do feel like Keanu kind of sometimes was, was trying to play the impersonation of Ted and, huh. I don't know. But again, I was still really happy with it. I oh, mean, yeah. just getting to see getting to see Keanu Reeves in uh the the bodybuilder latex uh you know scene where where it's like they meet up with future versions of themselves. Sure. Or the uh the the British rocker version living in a mansion. Yes. There was a lot of comedy there where I'm just glad he went for it. I'm sure. glad they just cut loose and had some fun with the film. Um but I do think Alex Winters, Alex Winter came out better. I think he just seemed to, he seemed to be more in tune with what was going on uh, most of the time. So. Um, I think, yeah, and I, I'm kind of on that. I, 
I thought Winter was good. I, I felt like maybe for me, both their performances were like on an even keel, but I can see what you're saying about Alex Winter. I think what was cool too is you could tell that this wasn't just a paycheck for either of them. You know, I felt like they were kind of as much as you can be invested in a dumb comedy. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they were, they were giving it, they were giving it their best. So I I like that about it. I mean, overall, I'm going to give it a pass. I'm going to, I'm going to say yes. It's like bass isn't good. I'm going to say, yeah, it's worth watching, especially if you were a fan of the first two movies. Then yes, I think you're going to have a lot to like in this film and enjoy. Uh, if you were not a fan of the first two, or if you've never seen the first two, I think it's a tough watch. Yeah, I mean, I probably. can't imagine really getting much out of it if you, you didn't see at least the first film. I think the second film's probably not as consequential. I mean, not as essential to see, but that first sure. movie, you kind of need to know the deal with all that. Um, but uh, I will say uh, Dean Pariso was the director. Uh, may not recognize his name. I do uh, not. One reason I got a little excited about the film when he was announced as director he directed a film that I am a big fan of. Uh, I think you are as well. Okay. Um, called Galaxy Quest. Oh, uh, that's yeah. that was I like, like that his film. one of his big films, and okay. he had such a great directorial touch with that film, where he just balanced a, a really great tone and a great cast. And so I thought, okay, well that's good. They've got somebody who can do something similar, maybe with this movie. And I think overall. Direction-wise, I think it was fine. I think the writing was just where I wish there had been a little more effort put in. Agreed. And I really wish the daughter's roles had been more stronger and just more fleshed out for them. Because they're two good actresses. You could tell they're really good at what, they, what they're doing. I just wish they had a better script to work with and, and kind of some more character development and something different than just copy Bill and Ted. You yeah. know? So Sure. All right. Overall, I, it sounds like we're pretty similar in our thoughts on this. And... Uh, Fun movie, just you know, maybe a few issues here could have been could have been a lot better, but overall uh, we got what we got, and we're okay <laughs> with that. So yeah. there we go. That's Bill and Ted Face the Music. Uh, it is available online for purchase or rental, and it's also, like Chris mentioned, been making some of the drive-in theater circuits and some limited theaters that are open. Um, so we we say, hey, if you're a fan of the first two films, think you'll enjoy this one, have a good time with it, and yes, in spite of the world we've been living in in 2020. It's always fun when we can just kind of kick back, turn off the brain a little bit, and just have fun with a movie. And I think this movie does fit that bill right now. So Absolutely. All right. Let's move on to our second film, uh, a little bit different here. We're going to change gears a bit and go into the latest film from writer-director Charlie Kaufman, uh, a, a Netflix exclusive. It is called I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Jake, my boyfriend. It's snowing. Winter is coming in. We have a real connection. A rare and intense attachment. I've never experienced anything like it. I'm thinking of ending things. Huh? What? Did you say something? I don't think so. Weird. I'm visiting Shakespeare. So, Chris, um, where to start with this film? I've been looking forward to this discussion for several days now. Sure. Um, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, 2020 film starring, or or, I'm sorry, written and directed by Charlie Kaufman. Charlie Kaufman, you may remember from such films as um, uh, Endless, uh, what is it? Um, Eternal Eternal Sunshine Sunshine. of the Spotless Mind. I can't believe I did not remember the name of that film. Uh, Adaptation. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also had Bing John Malkovich. 
Uh, he was written, did not direct that one, and right. he wrote but not directed adaptation. He wrote but not directed Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Correct. He did write and direct Synecdoche, New York. Correct. And then also Amalisa, which uh, Amalisa? Anomalisa. Anomalisa. Boy, I am off my game today. Well, that's kind of a hard name to say. It is, but a lot of hard names so far. So, writer-director, his films have always been unique, is a good word for it, but also dealing with a lot of memory, dealing with misery, and dealing with mortality. Those are kind of three things so you three, see. three M's, three memory, M's, misery, and memory, mortality. Memory, misery, mortality. Did you plan that? No, I just, <laughs> it just kind of comes natural to me. Um that is really the tone of his, that's the themes his films like to explore a lot. He, he does tend to play with time. He t- tends to play with what you perceive versus what you remember. Um, and I'm thinking of ending things as absolutely no exception to those themes and rules. My question to you, Chris, is that, uh, well, I'll just say the film is based on a 2016 novel, the same name by Ian Reid. Stars Jesse Plemons, Jesse Buckley, Tony Collette, and David Thewlis. So, Chris, my question to you is this: Is there a point in a in a in a Charlie Kaufman film? We all knew what we were getting into going into this. <laughs> sure. And I am always a fan of films that are more obtuse and cause you to do more thinking and more your own interpretation. But do you feel like there is a case where a film could be too obtuse? To the point where it's a more of a frustrating experience to watch than rewarding or something that requires you to have some additional insight and knowledge that the film's not really to give you. I'm setting you up for my review, but I want to hear if you think that that maybe applies to this film or if you felt like this film stood on its own and worked um, despite its very... uh, interesting approach to uh, its storytelling. Well, you know, this, this film is, you know, if there ever was a Charlie Kaufman film, this this is it. I mean, that you know, obviously he wrote and directed it. Um, but it's, it kind of has, you know, it hits on the three M's, <laughs> memory, misery, and mortality. It's, yep, they're there. Um, I will say that this film is, if, if you're not willing to try to invest in it, there's a car ride that takes seemingly like the first half of the film, but it doesn't take the first half. It's only probably like 20 minutes or so, but it's of the two main characters going to visit, you know, Jake's parents and it's slow. There's not a lot going on. There is some dialogue, but it's just, you know, the scenery is very gray and there's, you know, it's, if you can't get on board with that wavelength and then it starts going crazy when they get Mm -hmm. to the parents' house, things go sideways and things go really crazy. But you're still, you have sometimes when they return to a car ride. And if you can't get on board with the wavelength, with a very Kaufman wavelength, then you'll probably absolutely hate this film mm-hmm. and think it's terrible. And I get that. I get why people, this isn't for everybody. When I finished watching this film, I thought, well, I just thought it was okay. I thought it kind of fell short in many ways. However, um, one of the reasons why I don't put anything in letterbox or you and I try not to talk about things is because... It's good sometimes when I can kind of sit with a film. Unfortunately, I have not had a chance to rewatch this film, which I do want to do, even though, you know, it is, it's depressing. (laughs) But what I have done after watching the film, and I'm not going to spoil anything, is I have gone online and read some stuff about it. And then I was like, 
oh, and there's just stuff you wouldn't know going through it the first time because there's just no way to there's, really pick up on it. That's that's my thing. Okay, and, but go ahead, please. And continue, so and you know. so now, reflecting back on the film, having read some, I'm like, okay, I get it because what I would say this film was about, having just watched it, you know, in credits, I'd be like, oh, what well, was this? And I thought it was okay. Then when you see and read about what the real book was about and how mm-hmm. Charlie Kaufman adapted it and turned it into this, you're like, oh, I guess what I'm saying is I like it and I like it more than I did originally. I think now here's here's the question. We will never know with Charlie Kaufman unless you asked him, which would kind of be an insulting question to ask. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. it, I feel like he could have made it less confusing. Yes. And because he's such a talented screenwriter, I feel like he made it confusing on purpose, which I think is kind of a pompous thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know where I fall on like, was it confusing just to be confusing, which I can, you could say that has to do with memory and how you perceive things and how, yeah. but it just, I can see, I think it, if he wanted to make it more accessible, he very easily could have done so, but he didn't. So I think I'm exactly where you are. Okay. I'll say this, after recollection, after reading, I did the same thing. I read some essays afterwards, just trying to better understand it. And after reading it, I really liked this film. (laughs) But I did not like it when I was watching it. (laughs) Because it's just so frustrating. Well, it is. It's frustrating. And it's just, you know, I I want to understand or at least want to try to interpret what, what the filmmakers and the people involved are trying to say. And I honestly, for the life of me, could not get my head around it for the long duration of this movie. I went and read some essays and read some interpretations and read some synopsis of the book it's based on. Then it all started snapping into place. Then I'm like, oh, okay, I totally get it now. And it totally makes sense to me. And this is great. But, but as a, but, but going into this as not having armed with that information, I should not be reading things ahead of watching a film should prep for the film. The film itself, my hope would be standing on its own. It needs to stand alone. I felt like he needed to come about 10% down from the obtuseness he, he he wrote it around, give us a little bit. He doesn't have to spell it out. I don't need a director to tell me exactly what to think and what they're trying to say. I can I can do some interpretation. Give me just 10%. <laughs> give me just a little bit more. I feel like his other films, the ones we've written that other people have adapted into films, have done that. They are just broad enough or just imaginative enough, but there's still enough of a thread where you get some semblance of something to grab onto as a viewer where I can at least follow along. I can understand what they're trying to do. It's very creative. It's very unique, but it just, this film just seems to say, I don't care if people figure it out or not. And again, I'm not faulting him that that's his right to do as a filmmaker, but it does make it tough for the general viewing public. I do like this film in hindsight. And after having read about it and understanding the real theme that's being discussed and what even the phrase I'm thinking of ending things really means, I'm like, oh, I got it. I'm, I'm totally on board with it. I understand everything. I understand the animated pig. I understand the high school uh, <laughs> uh, silent uh, ballet sequences. I mean, I get it all now. Sure. I did not get it at all when I was watching it. So I don't know how to review it in that situation. Let me, let me just back up. and I'll, I need to give a synopsis of the film. Sure. Because we never really said what it was about, really. Um, <laughs> the three M's. I mean, <laughs> well, that's true. Uh, so the story is basically a young woman you you follow is traveling with her new boyfriend to his parents' secluded farm. 
Uh, and along the way, a lot of discussion is happening, but you start to slowly, she starts to question everything she thought she knew about him and even maybe about herself. The film does take some uh, moments of keeping you, the viewer, off guard with changing people's names, changing time periods, changing situations, and you are left kind of not always knowing what's going on. Even our main characters tend to change their own personalities right. along the film. So we're going to leave it at that and not get any more spoiler, but tell me, Chris, some some things about the film, even on that one single viewing that you you felt really worked for you. Well, the, you know, the, the acting always worked. Yeah. Um, I thought it was b- both of the Jessies yeah. were, were good, yeah. um, which they're your two, you know, Jesse Plemons plays Jake and, you know, he was, he was really good. And Jesse Buckley plays as she is titled young woman. Yeah. Just keep it a young woman. She's one of the mean. people that has a couple different names thrown at her. Um, but then the father and mother of Jake, Tony Collette and David Thewlis, I, they were just, they were so good. They were great too. The four central character, they're just really, really good. You talk about an ensemble cast. I think, you know, they're it for this film. It and all worked th- together, yeah. And with such a crazy script and with such a crazy plot and, you know, so much craziness going on, if you didn't have four actors of this caliber, I don't think the film would work as well as it does. No, I agree. So, I agree. No, I was going to say the acting is the one thing I put up as kind of a real big strength of the film. Um, I, you know, I, I also going to kind of credit, I think, um, I was a little disappointed that more didn't happen in the house. Because I thought the stuff in the parents' house was the most interesting and just exhilarating for me to watch. I'm like, I'm truly like absorbing everything that's going on and really trying to understand the dynamics. And the house itself was kind of a cool character. I mean, just sure, you know, you kind of got an understanding of its layout. You got to see Jake's old bedroom as a child. There's a mysterious basement. basement. There's just a lot of things <laughs> with the house that were cool. Right, but the house really was a relatively much smaller part of the film than I expected it to be. Um, but I do like all the production design that went into the house, and the layout of the house, and the use of the house for different rooms and scenes. So, sure. Um, but yeah, acting, production design, and again, once you understand what the film is about and what they're trying to say, you look backwards. The writing's actually really strong and sharp. It's just it's hard to under, understand if you appreciate the writing when you're watching it the first time or not. Yeah. Um, I thought, uh, you know, I, it's just tough for me to kind of really heartily recommend a film that almost requires either a second viewing or supplemental reading. <laughs> and that's where I feel like this film is. Well, did you see in your readings, did you, I've read some stuff that talked about why the inclusion of the musical Oklahoma. Yes, I did. Read and that. that, okay. So you've read some of the same, and I thought that was really fascinating. And I yeah. liked, you know, the janitor you see in the film, he seems to show a fondness for the musical Oklahoma mm. and comments at different points about it. And there's a scene with some people dancing out in the middle of a hallway. They're doing Oklahoma and there's some other, and it's just, you know, that kind of fanciful, but weird, but purposeful. And to me, that was an example of Charlie Kaufman throwing something in there that it worked for me. I didn't fully understand it. But instead of being confusing, I just kind of took it. Yeah. And now that I've read more about it, it kind of adds value. Oh, Whereas sure. I feel some of the other stuff was, you know, just keeping us at arm length. And like you said, that's what he chose to do. But it seems like it, I would have appreciated it more if he would have not kept me so far at arm's length. You know, in looking at it, Chris, I think, and I'm going to try to tap dance around this without giving anything away. I think the biggest thing that causes a viewer 
to get disconnected from this film so heavily and really not understand what's going on is the fact, and it's kind of a brilliant move, but it's it's really, really tough for a viewer. <laughs> sure. The, the move of the person we feel like is the uh, first person narrator that we're following. Yes. Is not. Correct. That's the biggest issue, I think, that when you're watching this film as a, as a standard moviegoer, and you're hearing the voice and you're following one character that you're expecting to see things from their perspective. Correct. Understanding that that's not really the perspective you're watching. Well, and yeah, so that's an interesting kind of twist, if you mm-hmm. will. There was a, the, <laughs> the reveal of the janitor, let's yeah. say. Okay. I, that was not a surprise to me. Yeah, I, was, I, I kind of figured I, that I, as And well. I feel like, you know, that's kind of the magic trick that he was working on. It's like, oh, yeah, you think you, because you see the janitor very early on in the film, and they flash back to him at different points and things. Or who knows, maybe they're flashing forward. And um, But I kind of like, yeah, I, I get what you're doing. I know what you're doing. But what I didn't get was the perception of the story being told and yeah. how it was being told. So that was, and yeah, but it ends up being just like, you feel like you've been duped, you know, like mm-hmm. it's not a good feeling. You kind of like, it's not a twist like a M. Night Shyamalan or a, you know, Christopher Nolan twist. You're like, no, I feel like you did this on purpose just to confuse me. Yeah. I'm kind of irritated by it. <laughs> so I tried to think back so. to myself. If, if this film was told from a different character's point of view, um, I still think it could have been really creative and still a little a lot to grapple with and a lot to work with but it would have at least led the viewer down a much more straightforward path mm-hmm. to trying to appreciate the film right the the choice of having the narrator or i guess the narr- the voice that we hear predominantly the person we feel like we're kind of following sure not really be who we're following it was an interesting choice it is. i applaud the creative choices involved I just think that's the element of the film that made it where it was still very much at arm's length for me, the whole film. It took me reading about it afterwards to, to get something out of it. But interesting, you know, if you would have asked me right after I read this or right after I saw this film, if I wanted to watch it again, I'd be like, no, it was okay, but I'm, right. I'm kind of one and done. However, like you, after, after reading, reading things. It, yeah. Well, I because there is back. a lot going on in the film there's a lot of details there's a lot of things everything's very intentional there's book titles you see on a bookshelf that all mean something there are shots and moments and phrases that all mean something that's so well written it's just again unfortunately when you're watching it the first time it's just all of it just kind of breezes by because you're just not sure what, how to process anything. so here's the thing i think you and i both appreciate films that have breadcrumbs that are kind of put down for you you can pick them up and figure them out this was a loaf of bread thrown into a wood chipper and shot into your face. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, at the end of the film, you're like, you know, pushing bread off your face. And you're like, OK, I get it. But it just seems like or a bazooka shooting bread. You know, it's just like, OK, you know, just the way it was done was. Yeah. And you don't realize that until until the end. But well, yeah, it was just it's interesting. Tough. It's a tough watch. It's a tough film. It's a challenging film. Um, so if everything we've talked about has convinced <laughs> you that you know, you're interested in this film, then awesome. Just know that you know, it probably would benefit you reading a little bit more or at least going in with the perception of what you're hearing, what you're seeing is not just think about that. It could be from other perspectives and not the perspective that you think you're watching. Um, the double, the double whammy of the film is it's very complex. And on top of that, it's very 
heavy. The film is kind of sad. It's about ending relationships, you know, strained Mm -hmm. family stuff, somebody that seems to be very miserable, or actually maybe the two main characters are both very miserable. So, you know, it's, it's tough subject matter just because it's so heavy. And then add on that, this complex maze you're running through, it's a lot. But I think if you enjoy trying to figure things out or if you enjoy unique cinema, then this, you know, this could be something definitely unique. Yeah. And uh, again, I I still feel like after having read about it and kind of thought about it and read more analysis of it, I'm actually wanting to go back and watch it again. Like you said, I would, I would like to watch it from a different lens. Sure. Where I feel like I could really appreciate the film more. So, but the acting production design, the direction in general, very, very strong. Um, So it's worth watching just for that. But yeah, it's a tough one, man. It is really, really tough. I, 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 I like you, had to watch it in two batches because I, I, I got interrupted watching it the first first half. So I got halfway through, and then my wife and I watched the second half. And um, I don't know if that was the best way to watch it or if I needed that time for my brain to kind of readjust a little bit in the middle. I'm not sure. But um, I'm very curious to kind of give it another visit at some point and see what else I can I can spot and figure out from it. So Yeah. So that is I'm Thinking of Ending Things, a film by Charlie Kaufman. It is available exclusively on Netflix, released just to Netflix, and is available, of course, now if you have Netflix. And Chris and I are saying, yes, we recommend it. Is that what we're saying? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I recommend it. With, with caveats. With a star. Yeah. With yeah, caveats. Yeah. With understanding that it may not be for every. It's definitely not for everybody. Sure. And may require some additional homework to get the full benefit of the film. So you watch Bill and Ted face the music and you think, oh, come on. I Give need me something, something more challenging. Okay. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> Ask and you shall receive. Right. Um, okay, good. Well, let's, uh, that's our two reviews. Let's take a quick break, Chris. When we come back, we have got a couple of uh, interesting trailers to discuss and play some clips of and dissect. And we'll also be jumping into some very early kind of mid-season Oscar talk, Chris. Sounds it's good. really that's crazy, but to think, but yes, there is an Oscar season still going on, despite the dearth of films. We're going to talk about that, and then we'll end with our recommendations for the episode. So stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh TV. We'll be right back in a moment. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Chris and I finished our reviews of Bill and Ted Face the Music, followed by I'm Thinking of Ending Things, an interesting pairing there, Chris. One where it's okay to turn your brain almost completely off and just enjoy. (laughs) The other one... Your brain, you're going to want to take it out of your head and rinse it out and wash it and squeeze it and all in between the movie just yes. to try to comprehend what's going on. Absolutely. So, uh, but both we are recommending just with different some caveats. Audiences. Different audiences. Yeah. Definitely some caveats, especially on the Charlie Kaufman film. Sure. Um, but Chris, let's move on. Let's talk, uh, let's talk future. Okay? okay. Those two films, they're out. We've seen them. They're available for everybody to see. Let's talk about some films that are, that are going to be coming out. Um, before too long, uh, let's go ahead and do the trailers first. I think I may have just changed the order on what we're doing, but if that's okay with you, we'll roll with it. Um, Chris, there are two films that we want to talk about in our trailer tapas section. Okay. This is the section of the show where we basically like to play a little bit of a trailer of a film that is going to be released soon that we think is worth discussing. Maybe it's a, 
interesting film. Maybe it's one that we've been really looking forward to, uh, creative project, whatever it may be. So we have two that we're going to be doing. I'll go ahead and tell you, Chris, I have seen neither of these. Okay. So I'm really watching these uh, fresh and blind here. So, so uh, I'll give, I got to see, so we're about, one of the ones we're, we're going to watch a trailer for Dune. Dune. I saw a teaser trailer for Dune in a theater. Okay. And you're like, when have you been? I actually took my life in my own hands, and thankfully everything was safe, but it was kind of scary. But I went and saw Tenant, mm -hmm. and when I saw Tenant, one of the trailers they showed before it was a teaser trailer for the trailer we're about to now so a hear. a teaser so, for the trailer, and right. now the trailer's out. It's a long trailer. Sure. We're, we're just going to play a clip of it, and then we'll talk about it. So let's just go ahead and set this background up here. So I am not a, a Dune person. I, okay. I don't know anything about Dune. I know I watched the uh, Lynch version parts of it, like when it was on TV, like broadcast after its theatrical run, and I did not get it. I <laughs> did not really find myself enjoying it. I did sure. not end up seeing the 2000 version they did as a miniseries that they put out. Yeah, I never saw that either. So I'm I'm fresh on this. This is a whole new experience for me. What about you? What's See, your I, as a young person, I still do though, uh, love sci-fi. And so I saw Dune, and even though I didn't totally get it, um, I really liked it, probably okay. because I really like David Lynch. Although, yeah, it's kind of a weird film. And I'll say, I, this is probably heresy to a lot of sci-fi geeks. I read the book, mm. and I thought the movie was amazing because it made sense of some of the book or made it interesting because I thought the book was kind of dry. And there's a right. whole series of Chris movies. Chris at footcandle.org. That is right. the email address right. you may use to send emails. Hate mail. Uh, hate mail <laughs> if you uh, can't believe what Chris just said about it. So I'm, I'm interested to see this version because I think it could probably only be more user-friendly, I would think. Well, and we do have a director that we are both big, big fans of, True. Uh, uh, Denis Villeneuve, um, such, uh, the director of Arrival, the director of Blade Runner 2049, Prisoners, Enemy, what am I missing? Incendies um, uh, is one of his other ones. Right, uh, Sicario. And Sicario, yep, I think Yeah, did. so uh, a great filmography, and you know, Arrival, I, I was a pretty big fan of. Enemy, I was. I really liked Prisoners. I, I really enjoyed. I thought Prisoners was great. So yeah, uh, even Blade, Blade Runner, the new Blade Runner, I thought mm -hmm. really underrated from a lot of people in public and the the box office. I thought it was really good too. So, um, all right. Well, let's let's watch a little bit of the Dune trailer and then we'll come back and talk about it. Sure. Did you see? There's a crusade coming. Do you often dream things that happen just as you dreamed them? Yes. The test is simple. Remove your hand from the box and you die. What's in the box? Pain. You inherit too much power. You have proven you can rule yourself. Now you must learn to rule others. Something none of your ancestors learned. My father rules an entire planet. He's losing it. 
He's getting a richer one. He'll lose that one too. Arrakis is a death trap. This is an extermination. They're picking my family off one by one. Let's fight like demons. An animal caught in a trap will gnaw off its own leg to escape. What will you do? Lord Duke. Where the fear is gone, only I will remain. Go, go, go! Okay, so uh, that was my first viewing of the Dune trailer, and uh, looks damn impressive. Yeah, I mean, Villeneuve, if he does anything, he's got. He it's knows gonna visuals. look. He knows good. visuals. It's yeah, gonna look totally. good, and the trailer looked really, really good. Um, I'm, I'm just really curious. I mean, I know how dense the story is. I know you know how maybe a little inaccessible it can be. So I'm just really, I think the big sticking for me will be, can people walk in, watch this movie or rent it, whatever mode we're in, <laughs> sure. and in, in, enjoy it as a film? Or is it going to be another one of those things where almost like the Kaufman film we talked about, where you kind of have to have more background knowledge or just things are going to require more homework to do, you know? So, so the know. interesting thing for me is mm. watching the trailer. Now I've seen, I've seen the original Dune, you know, several times, not really recently, but I've seen it several times. And I feel like I kind of understand it more and more every time I watch it, you know. But I'd be curious, like, if a trailer for the old version of Dune, if it made any sense. Whereas I feel like this trailer gives me hope because it made sense to me. And I feel like the movie is going to make sense. And so I feel like it'll be a much more accessible version of Dune. This trailer makes as much sense as other sci-fi fantasy epic films that you see a trailer for, you know. Tell you, the cast is still very impressive. Oh man, the cast is amazing. Um, obviously, the director we've already talked about, the look of the film, even you know, I mean, I grant I know it was probably just for the trailer, but even the soundtrack sure. and the use of the Pink Floyd song was a good, interesting choice. So yeah, I'm I'm excited. I am excited, but I'm also a little trepidatious on how accessible it's going to be. So yeah, this is two trailers, two shows in a row, I think, because we talked about the Batman in the previous. And they were using Nirvana's song, oh, right. something in yeah. the way, and that like from the very first note, that I was like, "Oh, this is amazing!" Because just like you know, for this movie, you know, they start the Pink Floyd song, 
And I was just like, huh, but it, it works. And yep. it's just like, I'm such a sucker now because I guess I've hit that age where I'm nostalgic for everything, even though Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon came out way before, you know, <laughs> but you know, still, it's just like, I don't know. It's such an easy thing to do in a trailer, but man, it, it works. It works. It does work. <laughs> All right. Well, that's Dune. So I think we're both excited for it. I will say I'm more excited because of Villeneuve than anything. Uh, you know, if it was a different director, I'd be hesitate. I'd be very hesitant. But sure. knowing this director and knowing his work and how much I've loved everything he's done, I'm like, yeah, bring it on. Let's see it. Uh, so we'll definitely have to see about that. Now, this other one, Chris, uh, this next trailer, second and final one, uh, I'll admit I know very little about. Okay. I read just briefly about it, but you you seem pretty intent on us talking about this film. Well, yeah, yeah, just because um, I'd seen a lot of buzz. The trailer was just released. It's a very recent trailer that okay. dropped. And I saw all this buzz on Twitter about it. And I was like, what's the deal? Specifically, one Stephen King. Don't know if you've heard of this gentleman. Mm. Um, he did not write this film. He has nothing to do with it. I only this know film. Richard Bachman. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, is it? Nice. Is that Stephen King? Yes. Oh, yes, yeah. okay, good. Good. Well, good. Um, Thanks. So, early pen name. But yeah, mm -hmm. so he was just like raving about this film. I followed him on Twitter. So I was like, huh, this is interesting. I don't think he really has anything to do with it. Maybe he's a producer, but I don't think he is. Um, so I was just intrigued and I watched it. And I have to say, I am totally on board with the film. Um, however, I worry that the trailer has once again maybe hyped me too much, but it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. All right. So the film is called Freaky. Yes. Um, it is from the director of Happy Death Day, which I have not seen that or I Happy Death Day too. Okay. So again, take that for what it's worth. Um, <laughs> here we go. Here's the trailer for Freaky. love your dress. I think I saw it at Discount Bonanza. <laughs> okay, so I was never the most popular. Homecoming's this weekend. Booker is gonna be at the dance. And boys never really noticed me. <laughs> Honestly, if this was a horror movie, I'd be one of the first ones to get killed. Cute, creepy dude in the mask. Like I said. <laughs> Actually, it turns out... Where am I? I didn't get killed. Oh my God, why do I sound like that? I woke up in the killer's body. The Blissfield Butcher strikes again. Don't freak out. You're black! I'm gay! We are so dead! Ow! Will you stop? It's me, it's Millie! Hail, hail, Blissfield. I feel our glory and our might. And not only is that psycho wearing my body, he's killing it. He's like a wolf in sheep's clothing. Who knows how many of our friends he's gonna kill? Are you sure this is safe? No. Oh my god, it's a slaughterhouse. I have like less than six hours to swap back or I'm gonna be stuck in his body forever. Hurry up, loser, I gotta take a dump. I have to admit, it hasn't been all bad. I'm sorry, sir, I didn't mean to interrupt. I... Move! How's that feel? I'll make you wish your stupid face was never born. Oh my God, did you just pee yourself? Yes! Oh, what am I wearing? I'm actually really liking this for you. Oh my God, it's a Blissfield Butcher! 
are gonna get killed by Murder Barbie. I can't wait to kill you. Time to stop this asshole. We're in this together. I want my body back. Come and get it. Look, I know I look like the butcher, but it's Millie. He's crazy. Okay, Booker, can you look at me, please? Booker! Dry up, bitch. Booker, help! Booker! Will you shut up? Booker! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the yeah, trailer, uh, yeah, it's uh, it does look fun. It's a good trailer. I mean, it is a good trailer. Because it balances the horror and the, the comedy pretty nicely. And... You know, let you know it's never going to take itself too terribly seriously. But um, I again taking the Freaky Friday premise and applying it to a mass murderer, <laughs> mass murderer. and a, a young girl. and a high school girl. Okay, that's kind of fun. <laughs> I mean, all right, that's sure. The thing, like the premise behind this movie, like whoever thought this up, which apparently I've, it's frozen on the screen, so I can read it. Michael Kennedy and Christopher Landon wrote it, and it's directed by Christopher Landon. Kudos to you. Yeah. Even if the movie stinks, is terrible, that is an amazing premise. Yeah. I can totally see how this movie got made. <laughs> well, and here's what I'm excited to for, too. Okay, Vince Vaughn. Yeah, yeah. We've we've reviewed a couple of films that he's been in. Uh, I think one he did with Mel Gibson that he's dragged, actually really good in. But, but he has been doing some really dramatic stuff yeah. for, like, quite a while. Um, it's kind of fun to see him play a role where he gets to – he's a comedian again. Yes. Um so I'm okay with that too. Yep. Okay. So freaky. I'm, hey, count me <laughs> in. Uh, November, Friday the 13th. Exactly. Which there again, coming out Friday the 13th, like good yeah. on you. Good job. I mean, it's almost like I feel like that ought to be a requirement that if you are making a horror film, you need to go ahead and look at the calendar for next year and say, when is Friday? Is there a Friday the 13th? And if so, <laughs> we need to stake our flag on that, on that date. Right. Why more horror films don't automatically just gravitate to that date? I don't know. But, um, Happy to see that there is one coming up in November, and we got a movie sure. coming out that date. Okay, good. Uh, you got me. I'm I'm on board <laughs> with it. I'm I'm looking forward to it now. It's on my watch list. So. There you go. Great. So, Chris, let's uh, talk for a minute about some other news. Um, so, believe it or not, we're halfway through the Oscar season, and normally at this time we'd be almost almost done. Almost done because you know. The Oscar season was extended this year because of, obviously, situations going on uh, with theaters not being open. Sure. Um, to where normally you have to have your film airing or playing in a theater by December 31st in order, in order to be eligible for the Oscar ceremony the, the, in, in a couple months. They extended to February 28th, basically giving two more months to the window because, again, fewer films were released. Right. Everybody's getting pushed back. So I think that technically means the end, the midpoint of the season was in August. So here we are, September, recording this. Um, it's going to be an interesting year for Oscar ceremony, no matter what. Agreed. Because even some films they're talking about that are scheduled to come out in October, November, December, there's still a chance they may get bumped too. Sure. I mean, we just don't know right now. But if we had to take it at the midpoint, I know a lot of people will kind of halfway through the year say, okay, what's been the best films of the year so far? And what, what do we have? Well, this has been an interesting one, but uh, I want to credit Variety uh, online, uh, Variety magazine and website. They actually put together a list of what they feel like are their picks for different Oscar awards 
based on just the first half of this extended Oscar year. So in theory, they're basing it off stuff that everybody would have had a chance to see because of VOD and Very stuff. Very true. Okay. Very true. So keep in mind, movie theaters were only open the first three months of the year. Right. And then those films are now available online. So I mean, sure. it's like, so yes, you're right. Every film that has come out this year, people can see it. Right. So it's not a matter of... They're only in select theaters, independent theaters, and you can't see them, you know, until January, February. Right. Normally, we're faced with, you know, October, November, December, November, December is like the avalanche, and we don't have a chance to see contenders until, like you're saying, January, February. So. Yeah. So I thought this would be kind of fun to maybe go backwards uh, sure. through the uh, categories and just say, hey, here's what they are saying is the, in their minds, the front contender for that award based on this this uh, odd year. Okay. And I think it'd be curious to see how many of them are ones that we have seen or talked about already. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to go relatively quickly through these because a lot of these categories, best documentary feature. This will be an interesting one to plug our festival, which I forgot to do coming off the uh, break for candle film festival is being held September 23rd through the 27th. And we are showing this film, John Lewis, good trouble. Wow. Uh, It's being kind of, they say right now they feel like that's the one that would, could win really? if the Oscar ceremony was held today. Cool. All right. <laughs> we will be showing that, by the way, on uh, all through the festival weekend, but actually holding a discussion about it on Saturday, September 26th. Did I get that date right? Yes. Good. That's our spotlight film for our Foot Candle Film Festival. So, yeah, technically it, we're showing it at 7 p.m., but you can kind of watch it watch whenever. Anytime. But we'll yeah. be holding a discussion for it at 8.45, and that mm-hmm. is Eastern time if you happen to be listening to this out in California. Yeah, so, so anyway, I thought that was interesting. Best original song is the one from Onward, Carried Me With You. Okay. I don't recall it. You Country music star Brandy Carlisle was okay. the singer. Uh, we saw Onward. Mm-hmm. I do remember there was a song, so I guess <laughs> so that's the one they're saying. Okay. Best. You, I'm gonna go ahead. You mean they're not gonna nominate something from or think Trolls World Tour is gonna like? That's coming. Oh, great. That's coming. <laughs> okay. Uh, best original score, The Invisible Man. Interesting. Yeah, not one I would have picked out for score, but yet maybe with given the limited options we got, they said oh, that one's actually pretty good. Hmm. Uh, best visual effects, Greyhound. That's the Apple TV Tom Hanks uh, submarine movie, which I did not think the visual effects were that great. Me neither, but maybe it's because I was seeing it on my TV. That's possible. Maybe. That is possible. Yeah. So that's that's their pick anyway. Again, this is not saying sure. this is what's going to win. Just saying yeah. this is Variety's picks, and which I think are interesting. Hmm. Uh, Best Sound is a film called The Outpost, which I have not seen. I'm not sure I've heard of it. The Outpost. Uh, it's a war film. Okay. Uh, the Operation Enduring Freedom account. Um, hmm. Not familiar with it. Yeah, so that may be one to catch up on. Best Makeup and Hairstyling. <laughs> Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. I mean, I, I kind of get that. that. I yeah, get that. I can see that. Yeah. Best Film Editing. The King of Staten Island. What? Yeah, that one's a little, a little confusing to me too. I mean, not... I mean, it was edited fine. I know they edited the film, but yeah. yeah. Huh. Well, I mean, it was already super long to begin with. How long was it before it was edited? <laughs> I don't know. Interesting. Um, best costume design, Radioactive. That's the, I have not seen that. That's the Rosamund Pike uh, feeling, uh, movie about... Um, Marie Curie. I mean, that's right. You got it. Huh. Best cinematography, The Old Guard. Have you seen this on Netflix? Yes. That's the Charlize Theron action movie. Yes. Okay, best they're saying cinem- best cinematography. Huh. Okay. <laughs> I have not. I, I started watching it and 
did not finish it. Don't, so. See, I, actually, we didn't even broach this, but um, I'm thinking of ending things. I thought the cinematography in that was no, really I, good. I agree. I think that's so. good, too. Huh. Um, best production design. Emma. Okay. Don't like, I totally get that. Yeah. Emma, we liked. It was a good film. Sure. Uh, best animated feature. Uh, Trolls World Tour. Wow. Trolls World. That's a tough one to say. It is. Trolls World, World Tour. So is it basically just that and Onward? <laughs> yeah, I think so. How can you say that was better than Onward? Not that I'm the hugest fan of Onward, but come on. Huh. Uh, again, okay. blame Variety. Don't sure. blame me. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not picking these things. Okay. Best Adapted Screenplay. First Cow. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Which we talked about. And, you know, we saw, and it was our first Foot Candle film back when we moved to our online cinema a couple months ago. So, yeah. See, I would wonder if they had seen I'm Thinking of Ending Things when they see I'm wondering if that film just broke after, okay. because it just came out September 1st or August 28th or something. I'll go ahead and say, regardless of, you know, I, I can't see how that won't be nominated for adapted yeah. screenplay because it's, you know, it's, it's a, quite a feat, quite yeah. a feat what they pulled off. Yeah. Best original screenplay, a film called Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, which I have been wanting to see, have not seen yet. Yeah. Um, supposed Perfect. to be really good, uh, but I'm not as familiar with it. Uh, best supporting actress, Renee Elise Goldsberry for Hamilton. Okay. The didn't, actual stage production filmed they, version of Hamilton. I didn't think they could do that. I didn't think Hamilton would be like able to be nominated for I mean, I guess technically she's still an actress in the film. Sure. Even though it's a stage play, but right. it's a film stage play, so that mm. falls under acting? Yeah, because I thought that was the big buzz about it when it came out. Everybody's like, oh, Hamilton's going to sweep the Oscars, and then supposedly people were like, no, because of, I can't remember the... Well, it definitely couldn't sweep the Oscars, because you can't, it doesn't apply to a lot of the, sure. the categories, but I mean, I guess acting still does. I mean, fair to me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Huh. Best oh, okay. All right. But Variety does say here that there's conflicting reports and ideas about whether or not okay. Hamilton is eligible for the Academy Awards. Okay. But they're saying right now that, you know, while Disney and the Academy try to figure that out, uh, <laughs> huh. Disney plans on giving it a campaign. They're going to try to campaign for it. So, okay. We'll see. Fair enough. Best supporting actor. Surprising. Billy Crystal for Standing Up, Falling Down. Ah, uh, I know he's in a film with Ben Schwartz that I know is kind of a comedy drama. And it's like they're father and son and they don't really get along or something? Maybe, or stand-up comedian and a, a friendship he develops with somebody. Yeah, I'm not quite familiar with it, but I was curious. I did see this film was announced. And I think I saw the trailer for it. Hmm. And I do like Ben Schwartz a lot. So I'm like, and, and Billy Crystal in his prime, I, I think is still really good and funny it would be interesting to see him do something now but they're saying it's really good they're saying that uh you know um standing up falling down standing up falling down independent it's an independent film from director matt ratner he plays an alcoholic dermatologist who forms an unlikely friendship with a stand-up comedian played by ben schwartz okay um when did it when did you see i i'm when was the release of this? it doesn't say i don't huh. know okay yeah. hmm. best actress take, take a guess uh, we, Liz we, we have seen it. We reviewed it. Elizabeth Moss. No. Okay. Um, I don't remember the uh, Anna Taylor-Joy for Emma. No. It's a film we have not discussed yet. Oh, we haven't discussed, but no. we've both seen it. We both saw it. We both liked it. It was in contention to be one of our film screenings for Foot Candle, but it didn't work out. Dude, I must need another cup of coffee. It's the assistant, Julia Gardner. Oh, 
Oh yeah. So we didn't end up reviewing that. I think we did. Oh, we did review it. We just we didn't have it, it for a foot candle. Screen. No, no, we gotcha. didn't. We we tried to have it. And okay. We, we couldn't pull it together. But gotcha, gotcha, Julia gotcha. Gardner for the assistant is their their pick for best actress so far. Okay, that'd be amazing. Um, best actor, also a film we saw, we discussed, we reviewed. And I would have pegged this person for best supporting actor, but they're actually saying uh, best actor. Uh, Delroy Lindo for the De Five Bloods. Oh, yeah, I would have said supporting. I would have too. On that. But I agree, he's really good. He is really good. He yeah. needs to get something out of that, but uh, yeah. yeah. Best director, I, I, I'm familiar with the film, but I have not seen it. Uh, Channing Godfrey Peoples for Miss Juneteenth. Oh, yeah, I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, huh, they're saying that's their pick for best director. Wow. So far, yeah, pretty pretty amazing. Uh, not only first time director as far as like that we are aware of, but also yeah, it is a true newcomer director. Hmm. Um, and then best picture, Palm Springs. Wow. Variety is saying that at the midway point in this new Oscar year, they feel like Palm Springs is the best picture contender. You know, if you look at that movie the way, and Best Picture winners, the way you and I have talked about and other people talk about it, it's not that you're saying it's the best actor, but things kind of come together and they make it, you know, the best picture. You know, the directing, the acting, you know, just the costumes, right? You know, like, and the writing, you kind of say all the elements somehow work. Whereas, you know, interesting. I would not have picked that in a million years to be up for a Best Picture, but, huh. That is what their picks are. Now, granted, that is just variety, kind of speculating. Nobody really knows. And generally, just like any other Oscar year, you normally expect the films that are actually going to win stuff to be in the latter half of the year. Right. So it's always nice to kind of recall the first half, because I do feel like the first half of the year sometimes gets forgotten pretty easily by the time you get to the end. Totally. So I like knowing that, you know, hey, of these films, I like the fact that I've seen most of them. Yeah. Which is kind of nice to know that, you know, as far as the ones that are getting the most acclaim... They're all, again, like you said, we can pick up right now and watch any of these films because they're all available to us, which is, if we have to pull a a positive from this whole experience, that would be (laughs) it, is that I think it's going to, we're going to have an Oscar ceremony where we're going to have the most exposure to all the films available to see anywhere we live. Sure. Okay. So that is Variety uh, listing out their selections, their contenders uh, to consider for the new first half of 2021 Oscar season. So, Chris, we've done some trailer tapas. We've done talking Oscar, premature Oscar talk here on the show. I think it is time for us to move into our final segment of the show, and that is our recommendations. That is where you and I both recommend a film that we either just recently caught up with, maybe saw for the first time, feel like needs some more attention or acclaim, and we'd like to help give it to them. So, Chris, I'm going to toss it over to you first. What film do you have to recommend for us today? So I'm going to recommend a film that came out, I think it was 2019 was when it was actually released, but it might have been 2018, but it's called Wildlife, and it was notable at the time because of the director, Paul Dano, um, it was his first film, and he wrote the screenplay with Zoe Kazan, so he also you know, was writing a screenplay, he made the film, it was based on a book, um, but it stars Carrie Mulligan and Jake Gyllenhaal, and Ed Oxenbold plays their son, but Wildlife is a really interesting film, really well made, especially for a first-time director in Paul Dano. Obviously, he's been around movies for a while, but the cinematography was really beautiful. Uh, the costuming was it was period set back in like the fifties or sixties, I think. And the, basically, the storyline is a boy dealing with 
the complicated relationship between his mom and his dad when his dad gets to be unemployed and has to go off. And this is also kind of timely. He decides to be a firefighter off of these big wildfires that are going, which we're having wildfires out on the West Coast Mm -hmm. right now. Um, So he goes and takes this really dangerous job, leaving the mom kind of in a lurch because she's not working. And um, it's just, you know, when you hear of like coming of age, you know, you can get kind of burned out on that whole, you know, segment of cinema. But this was just a really interesting take on it. And it has one of the best last scenes I can think of in a while. Um, And they lay the groundwork for the the last scene in the movie. But then when it hits, you're kind of like, huh, you know, it's just a really... It's a very thoughtful movie, and I, and you can see so much. I mean, Carrie Mulligan's amazing as the mom, mm-hmm. and Jake Gyllenhaal is good too. But the son, which is the first time I'd ever seen him, Ed Oxenbold, just he doesn't really have to talk. Just the emotions he shows on his face, and he has a very innocent face, but just you know him kind of just soaking everything in that's happening between his parents and the stressful situation there. It's it's a great film. Uh, it's which is kind of interesting for me to say it's like an hour and 45 minutes so it gets to be a little long maybe um but it was really worth my time and i i highly recommend it kind of slipped under the radar for me but uh wildlife you can watch that i love how you, you an hour 45 is a long film for you when most films nowadays are like going over two, two, oh, hours, way over and two hours and most of them are too long yeah it's because of the subject matter you know this like weighty drama oh, yeah. you're kind of like, but it, it didn't feel too long and that's you know no i was curious about this one when it, when it came out a, a year or two ago and uh was curious about i really like carrie mulligan yes um she has a film that is on was high on my what want to see list that was supposed to be released. Okay, has been delayed, delayed, delayed. Is it's promising young, uh, promising young woman. Yes, it's yeah. like kind of a revenge uh, film, but looks really interesting. And I got super excited about it when the trailers came out early this year. And now I'm just like, where is it? <laughs> when we get to see, <laughs> see it, I, I don't remember know. Remember hearing about the film, but I actually haven't seen a trailer for it. Yeah, yet, yeah so no, it looks look it looks pretty good. Okay. pretty good all right great so that's wildlife so yes. great uh, great recommendation from chris there chris i hear you about your feelings and your parental drama and all that and okay. that's great but let's <laughs> let's flip it around we haven't really okay. talked about this kind of film today let's go to complete uh testosterone filled uh real action movie okay well i take it back this has actually got more going for it than than you might realize I'm going to recommend the film Crimson Tide by uh, director Tony Scott from 1995. Yes, Tony Scott. He's the one that directed Top Gun. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> not with us anymore. He died right. uh, back in 2012. He's the brother of Ridley Scott. Um, Tony, Tony Scott's known for a very, I think, a very sharp visual style that's obviously meant to highlight machines and, and male faces and just really a lot of testosterone-filled cinematography. Sure. But it's captivating. I mean, I, think, I still think his films are just interesting to watch because of his directorial style. But in Crimson Tide, I just have to flash back and say that back in 95 when this came out, I went to go see it with uh, my college room, my old college roommate. We had been out of college for just a little while, and uh, we got back together in our respective jobs wherever we were working, and we went to go see Crimson Tide. And we came out just so over the moon about this film hmm. because – Yes, it's a it's an action movie. Yes, it has some a lot of thrilling moments and a lot of uh, 
really uh, just you know great set pieces to it. It all does take place in a submarine, which I'm kind of partial to submarine movies in general. Okay. But we have an interesting story. It's on a U.S. nuclear missile sub, a young first officer played by Denzel Washington, who had been in some films but was still relatively kind of moving up the ranks in Hollywood at the time. Okay. He stages a mutiny to prevent his trigger-happy captain, played by Mr. Gene Hackman, from launching his missiles before confirming his orders to do so. I love this film because, A, it's got two great actors that I like watching. I like to see them spar off each other. But two, there's actually a lot of um, organizational development questions and, uh, and, and decision-making processes that you can call into question. I showed it to my, my family just the other night because we were looking for something to watch. And I said, look, just at the end of the movie, tell me who's right and who's wrong. And I love movies where it's not ever as clear as here's the good guy, here's the bad guy. Gotcha. This is truly a film where you watch the situation and like, yeah, I could totally see both sides of the coin. I totally get where both characters are coming from. I understand the conflict that's at play here. And it doesn't walk away just saying... He was good, he was bad, he was right, he was wrong. It was truly a, wow, there's a lot of question marks that you got to kind of think through. So hmm. I love the script of this just because it does do a lot of twists and turns during the film. It does kind of give you this ultimate conundrum of not really knowing what you would have done in that situation. Um, sure, the movie still carries over some of its 80s tropes of action movies, Um you know, there's a lot of uh, played up some some extra drama, maybe more than than necessary at times. But but listen to this cast also. Besides just Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman, you had Viggo Mortensen playing one of the uh, officers on there that plays a very critical role. You got James Gandolfini in there as well. Huh. Um, Ricky Schroeder <laughs> is in this. Uh, Steve Zahn plays a small part. So some good actors. Some good. And, and again, just you know, the idea of uh, an entire movie, or at least 75, 80% of the movie taking place in a submarine. Can I say something that's blasphemy? Oh, yeah, go ahead. What are <laughs> you going to say? Todd, I only realized just now why you hadn't mentioned Sean Connery. Because he's in because he's not in October. It. That's not for Red October. <laughs> yeah, you're like, when's Alan going to mention Sean Connery? I can't believe well, he's I'm not going him out. to. <laughs> so, um, so have right. you never seen Crimson Tide? I have, but it's obviously just molded into that and Hunt for Red October yeah. basically one movie. I know. To me. You just you only get, you gave it a three star review. I saw on Letterboxd. Okay. That's fine. There we go. Uh, fine, whatever. <laughs> um, I do think it's a really good movie. Okay. Again, if you just have to take action movies at their f- surface value, this one to me rises above because of the interesting dilemma drama that is involved. And it's a lot. It's a lot. Uh, a lot more uh, complex than just. Good guy, bad guy. And was that intentional imagery with submarines rising above? That was intentional. I, I tell you, I'm really good with this stuff. Okay. They, they, they just kind of come naturally to me. So Nice. So Crimson Tide, 1995, by Tony Stock, Scott, starring uh, Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman, is my pick. And also, my family agrees. My boys love this movie now, so I think I did a good job in the parenting Ooh. field on this one. So... So we have Wildlife and we have Crimson Tide as our two recommendations for the episode. Chris, I think we're going to be wrapping up the show here. Um, I was totally overlooked plugging our Candle Film Festival earlier in the show like I completely had planned to do, and I just spaced out. So let's do that now. Let's make up for it if we can. Candle Film Festival, it is coming up September 23rd through the 27th. 
Uh, it is going to be a completely online festival. So when you are listening to this episode, if you're getting it right when the episode comes out, you still got some time to get on board and, and join us for the festival. All of the films will be available between September 23rd and the 27th online. But if you really would like to follow along, Chris, we do have a schedule of recommended viewing times because there are going to be live Q&A discussions at certain times throughout the festival for each film as well. Right. So anything we want to share or add to that that I'm missing? You know, just like we try to do with every year with every festival, we try to have something for everyone. And this, this year is no exception. We have an out-and-out horror film um, in the arbors that we're showing. Uh, we have ind- you know smaller independent films and locally made some in North Carolina. We have our opening film, Drought, is an example of that. They were actually a grant winner from some of the monies we gave away last year from the festival. And then we have documentaries, and of course we always have short films, which some of them are documentaries, some of them are narrative. So there really is something for everybody. I would recommend, if you're interested, to go check us out at footcandlefilmfestival.com to get more information about tickets and things. And again, you can watch these films from anywhere. I think there's only one film that might just be restricted to North Carolina viewing only, but the rest of the festival right now is anywhere in the United States. You could technically join us and watch these films. So uh, we hope to virtually see you or talk with you during the course of the festival coming up September 23rd through the 27th. And Chris, we are uh, wrapped up here with Foot Candle Films, but if anybody wants to dialogue with us about the film reviews or about any of the news we shared, how, how can they do so? So you can send us an email to info at footcandle.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Foot Candle Film. Alan and I do keep up accounts on Letterboxd to track what we're seeing. And if you enjoy this show, which hopefully you do, give us a star rating or write a review and share with friends for us like iTunes because it helps us reach new listeners. We'd appreciate it. We're also on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. So make you aware of all the different places you can uh, get this podcast. That's right. Well, with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Thanks so much for everybody for listening. And we will look forward to talking to you at our next episode here in a couple weeks. Thanks. Take care. Stay safe. See you in the ticket line when we actually go to theaters again. Watch films in the company of like-minded people in the dark. Watch films in the underground. We won't let anyone know where you are. The films that don't make it to Carmike at the mall. Or ones that were famous when Grandpa would watch films. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.